Every day, thousands of concerns press for our attention. Our world is wrestling with all kinds of legitimate social issues. Do you ever wonder how things became so complicated? Hi, this is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at West Valley Christian Church. Do you ever dream about a simpler time in your life and faith? In this series, we will look at four one thing statements in the Bible to help us quiet all the noise and call us back to a simpler faith. We hope you enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning. So uh, love those songs that we just sang. You know, hopefully as we come to church and as we're here, you know, our desire is to be in the presence of God. And uh, just so grateful for uh, Tiana and the worship team. Um, grateful to see Brad up here. First time in a while. He's, he's not in the room yet, but there he is. Grateful to see Brad up here after some challenges. And so up there singing well. And uh, so today, we're wrapping up this series, One Thing. And, and we have been looking at several different passages in the Bible that at some point or another say those words together, one thing. And, uh, and so we've looked at some great passages of Scripture. Psalm 27, verse 4 was the first one that we looked at. It kind of is a reminder to me of that song we just sang, because David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Like David is writing what we just sung about in that last song. Uh, then we looked at Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 21. And uh, it said, Jesus looked at him. So remember, he's talking about this rich young man who was like, Lord, what do we need to do to get to eternal life? And he talked about the commandments. He's like, I did that. And he's like, all right, what else? And so it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. One thing you lack, like the, his wealth was more important to him than Jesus. And that guy went away sad. And we looked at Luke chapter 10, verses 41 through 42. We've looked at Mary and Martha a couple times in this year. <clears throat> but in 41, it says, Martha, Martha. And if you remember, Pastor Rob added a few more Marthas on there. Okay, But Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. And in some translations, it says only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And then last week in John chapter 9, we looked at the story of a, of a man who was uh, born blind, and he was healed. But in the early part of John chapter 9, the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, of which I always thought that, I've always thought that's an odd question, because he was born blind, okay? So like, when would he have done something wrong, all right? So he's born blind, and they ask him this, and then Jesus heals him, okay? Jesus heals him, puts some mud on his eyes, tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, in which somebody asked for church last week, asked me, so is there anything significant about the way Jesus healed him? And I, I, my answer is, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if there's any significance. It, it is interesting as you read through the Gospels, Jesus heals people in all different kinds of ways. Sometimes he just says something. Sometimes he touches them. In this story, he made some mud and told them to go wash, and that's how he healed them. All right? So I don't know why Jesus did it in all different kinds of ways, but he did. But later on, when he's questioned about what Jesus has done for him, and the, and the Pharisees aren't happy about the story being passed around. 
In John 9, 25, he says, he replied, whether he's a sinner or not. So in reference to Jesus, he's like, man, I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't know, but one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Okay? One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. What a great little passage of scripture for us today. Because you know what? You might be a Christian. You might be new to this thing called Christianity. You might, be a, you might have been a Christian for 40 years. And you know what? None of us have all the answers, do we? Like people ask questions. And there are lots of times where people ask me questions. And I go, nah, I don't know. I don't know. And it's not like I don't care. But like, I'm like, well, let me, let me look into that. You know, let me see if I can find out why. And sometimes there just aren't answers to people's questions. And yet in this, what this passage reminds us of, it's the power of our testimony. Okay, because I may not have all the answers, but what I do know is this. Before Jesus, I was like this. And after Jesus, I'm different. I'm something different. And that should be true in each and every one of our lives, is that each one of us should have a testimony about how Jesus has changed our lives. And so I love that guy. He's like, ah, whether there's a sin or not, I don't know. One thing I know, hey, man, I was blind, and now I can see. What a great passage. And so today we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, eventually, where Paul is talking, and he writes this. He says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, there we are, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All right, so before we get any further into our message today, uh, I want to take you back to a, a little bit of a different, uh, of a different time. Uh, if you've been around here at all for a while, you know Pastor Rob and I, we have one thing in common, okay? Well, we have a couple things in common, but we both love sports, all right? Now, he tends to root for not necessarily always the same teams as me. Like, I'm sure Pastor Rob, wherever he was yesterday, was very happy because his UCLA Bruins beat my USC Trojans. For any of you that clapped, the back door is over there. and You may leave now, okay? Um, and the truth is, I say our, neither one of us went to either school, Okay. So there's really nothing to it. I don't know how he ended up so degenerate that he's a Bruins fan, but he did. And, uh, well, anyway. But, but both of us love sports. And we both grew up in a time where sports wasn't on TV. Like, if you're a young person nowadays and you like sports, there are hundreds of sports channels. Okay? Some of you, if you're just trying to find Murder, She Wrote, you know that. Okay? Like, you're trying to find, you know, some old programming and all you can find is sports channels. Okay, but back in the day, there weren't all these sports channels. In my childhood, ESPN was born. Okay, and so there weren't all these sports. And so every couple of years, every four years, this one big event would come along. It was called the Olympics. All right, and it didn't matter if I cared about the sports. Just for, I knew for two straight weeks, like 18 days maybe, that sports were going to be on TV. So it didn't even matter if it was something I enjoyed. Okay, anybody have any Olympic people in the crowd today? Okay, not participants, but people that enjoy the Olympics. Okay, so uh, how many of you like the Winter Olympics? All right, a few Winter Olympics. How many of you prefer the Summer Olympics? All right, I can't tell by how many hands were up. But anyway, I'm a Summer Olympic kind of person. I prefer the Summer Olympics. And one of the great things about the Olympics, whether it's the summer or the winter, you just have these great moments. You know, you have this great favorite, this big dominant team that loses to an underdog. 
Or sometimes you have that great dominant team that turns out to be really just as great and dominant, like the 92 Dream Team were in Barcelona, all right? And so you have all these great moments, but sometimes the great moments have nothing to do with who wins or who loses, okay? Sometimes the great moments has nothing to do with who wins or who loses. It's about competing, and it's about finishing, and it's about finishing the race or the event or whatever it is that the people are in. Now, in a moment, we're going to watch a video. Uh, but before we watch this video, I want to give you some background, all right? Um, so in first service, I was a little bit of a smart aleck about this. But so for young people, you may not know this, but on your computers, you know where it says folder, okay? You may not know this, but people of my age used to actually keep information in folders, Okay, like we would put stuff in a folder that would go in a filing cabinet. And so if any of you are interested in seeing what that looks like, I have one in my office and uh, you can come look at it sometime. But so I, I kept these folders from when I was a kid and, uh, and they're on all these different topics. And so on the topic of perseverance, I have a folder that says perseverance and I have all these papers in there that are stories about perseverance. And, and I came across one that actually my mother-in-law emailed me 23 years ago, okay? So my mother-in-law sent me this email. I decided it was worthy to keep, so I printed it off and put it in this folder, and it's the story, it's this Olympic story of this guy named Eric Musambani. Okay, now, I don't expect any of the rest of you to have heard of him, but Eric Musambani was a guy from Equatorial Guinea. I don't know where Equatorial Guinea is. I just assume it's somewhere near the equator, Okay? I'm not all that bright, but I just assume it's somewhere near the equator. And so here's the way the Olympics work. In most events, there's some kind of qualifying in order to get into the Olympics. Not just any schmo can show up at the Olympics, all right? Like you have to qualify for it. And yet, there are times where the Olympic committees will make exceptions, especially when it's for like a smaller country that is maybe underrepresented uh, in the Olympics. And so... Uh, such was the case with this man, Eric Musambani, who made it to the Olympics in 2000 in Sydney, Australia. And here's some things you need to know about Eric. Um, Eric is going to swim in the 100-meter freestyle race in August of 2000. In January of 2000, Eric did not know how to swim. Okay, think about that. Eight months after learning how to swim, Eric is swimming in the Olympics, all right? So, and a lot of Olympic swimmers, you know, they have all these training grounds, they have all this equipment to help you get better and to do all this stuff. Eric practiced in a hotel swimming pool. So when he got the Olympics, he had never swam in a pool that had lanes. He had never been in a pool that big. He was supposed to race 100 meters, but he had never swam in a competition of any kind more than 50 meters. As a matter of fact, in the video that we're going to watch... What you're going to notice about him is he is swimming by himself, okay? Now, there's a crowd of people there, but he is swimming by himself, and this is the reason. You know, I'm sure this was like a prelim to the prelim to the preliminary heats, you know? And um, there were two other guys who were supposed to swim with him, but they both fall started. They dove into the water too early, and if you do that, you get disqualified, okay? And so that left poor Eric to swim by himself, and, uh, and, and let, let's watch him swim here. Okay. 
All right. So, you know, if you go on YouTube, there's several different versions of, of that event on there. And one of them, I, I don't know if it was like the official broadcast, but as I watched it, and this made me a little bit sad, it was almost like the broadcasters at some point were kind of making fun of Eric as he's trying to finish this race. But, but as, I, as I was watching him swim, like there's several things that I just couldn't help but notice. Like, you know, if you know swimmers, they normally like do like a, a flip and they push off the wall. Like, well, he did that. Like he almost missed the wall. And so then he was like dead in the water, you know, and having to start all over again. Um, and then as he's swimming, there's a couple of things that I noticed. Number one, um, if you watch the video, and I don't know if you could hear it very well in here, but he was swimming by himself. But man, that whole crowd, the building was full of people. They were into it. Okay, like they were cheering him on. They were clapping for him and they were cheering for him. And I loved, I loved the like little two-second clip where they go to the two guys that must have been his coaches, you know, of which I'm sitting there going, do they know how to swim? You know, like he didn't know how to swim eight months ago. Do these guys know how to swim? But I love they're just sitting there clapping so much. They're just cheering him on, you know. And, and so when you watch that video, especially towards the end, you know, he's getting close to the lane, and I'm thinking he's about to, like, grab onto the lane, you know. Or, or at some point, you're like, we're going to have to send in the lifeguard to save him, you know. But the reality is, he keeps swinging those arms, and he keeps flailing away, and he gets to that wall, all right, and so like the record I think at the time was like 58 seconds. He finished well over a minute over that, all right? And so for, for a long time, and actually I was thinking about it like, well, he didn't break any records. I thought, well, no, actually that's not entirely true. He, he was at that moment the, uh, the, the, the record holder for Equatorial Guinea in the 100-meter race. You know, like he owned the record. I'm not saying it was a great record, but I'm saying he owned it. But what a great thing just to watch him fight and to keep going and to keep swimming. And in an interview later with these reporters, he said, I want to send hugs and kisses to the crowd. It was their cheering that kept me going. And so in spite of his lack of training, in spite of his lack of resources, he persevered to finish the race. He persevered to the end. And I'm sure there were lots of times, especially on that second 50 meters where he wanted to quit. Okay, I'm sure there were lots of moments where he was like, I would like to be done swinging my arms right now. And the reason I wanted to show this video is this, is you know what? In some ways, that video at different times in our lives reflect where you and I are. There are times in our lives where we're in that water and we're just flailing away. Like we're going through life and we started off strong. He started off strong, Okay. But there comes times in our lives where we're going along and we're just barely hanging in there. And our arms are barely moving. And so as we look at this one last one thing passage, the, the main idea for us today is this idea of perseverance. To hang in there. To keep going even when you want to give up. All right? And this is such an important topic because at different times in our lives, we all are in that situation. At different times in our lives, we are all just like Eric in that water, feeling like that wall is never coming, feeling like the end is never near. And so I want you to listen to these passages of Scripture that talk about the importance of perseverance. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul writes, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. He's saying, man, you got to keep going. You got to keep moving. If you don't give up, there'll be a harvest, okay? 
There'll be a harvest. You just got to keep going. You got to keep flailing away. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, it says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Okay? Sufferings lead to perseverance that leads to character that leads to hope. All right? Most of us, we want to avoid sufferings, don't we? It makes sense that we all want to avoid sufferings for the most part. And as I thought about this passage... I thought about my time, and I'm still a parent, but my kids are in their 20s, okay? They don't quite need my parenting like they once did. But I thought about the role that we have as parents in our children's lives. Because as I think about this topic of perseverance, and I think about that passage in Romans, I thought about this. You know what? There are times in our kids' lives where we need to let them suffer, Okay, let me say that again. There are times in our kids' lives where we need to let them suffer. And we need to encourage them and even make them persevere in things. Because as that passage says, suffering leads to perseverance, which leads to character, which leads to hope. And our, and our natural inclination sometimes as parents is to try to come alongside our children and stop them from suffering. And I'm not saying that's a bad trait, okay? I'm not saying let your children hurt themselves. I'm not saying let somebody else hurt your children. But sometimes we need to let our children reap the benefits or the consequences of their choices. So instead of coming along and trying to fix everything, let me explain a little better. Instead of going into your, your kid's teacher and explaining why they're doing something wrong, why not support your, your kid's teacher as they're trying to deal with your child. Instead of going to your kid's coach and explaining why your kids should play more or why instead of playing right field, they should be playing shortstop, how about if you tell your kid, hey, you know what, work harder in practice. And if you keep working hard in practice, that will pay off. You see, so often as parents, we fly in and we want to try to fix things and we don't let our children nowadays, I believe, develop the characteristics that they should have. This is the way I look at it. Sometimes it's hard. Now listen, I, it's so easy for me to say this. I don't have a seven, eight, or nine-year-old anymore, okay? It's so easy for me to say this now. It was very difficult for me to try to live, okay? Matter of fact, there's a principal's office just a couple hundred yards away from here. Guess what? I spent a lot of time in there with my children when they were young, all right? And so it, it's, hard, it's hard to do, but sometimes we need to let them learn their lessons to develop some suffering, perseverance, character, and hope. Because whatever it is that they're going through, isn't it better for them to learn it at 6, 7, 8, and 9 instead of 36, 37, 38, 39? Like we need to make them and encourage them to persevere and to hang in there and to not let them quit so that they have that character that they need one day when it's not just something little, but it's something bigger. All right, we're moving on. But this next passage is very similar. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, and then verse 12, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Yes, it did say that. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. 
Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And so in the last passage, perseverance leads to character and hope. In this passage, perseverance leads to being mature and complete. And then in verse 12, it tells us that we'll receive the crown of life. Paul also says in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, says, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. So the results of perseverance in that passage is eternal life. And so perseverance leads to character, hope, maturity, completeness, the crown of life, and eternal life. And so the Bible gives us all kinds of great passages like that, but it doesn't just leave us there. It gives us all kinds of great examples of people who persevered. You know, in all of the Old Testament, my favorite person is Joseph. I just love the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And it's because no matter what he went through, he continued to persevere. He continued to honor God. Okay? So if you want to read the story of Joseph, go to the book of Genesis and read it. There's so many chapters on, on Joseph's life. But let me give you the short version. Joseph had 11 brothers. Joseph was his dad's favorite brother, son. He was his favorite son, and his dad, unfortunately, let everybody know that. Okay? And so his brothers, being envious and jealous of him, uh, one day when Joseph is coming out to, to check on how they're doing, okay, they decide to get rid of him. All right? And so I think some of them want to kill him, uh, but instead they, they sell him. They turn him into a slave. They sell him to some people wandering by. Now, I want you to think about that. Some of you have siblings that you get, have a trouble getting along with. Okay, imagine being Joseph. All right? His siblings sold him. They got rid of him. All right? And so Joseph ends up in Egypt. But you know what? God blesses him. He ends up in the home of Potiphar, and God blesses him, and he ends up taking care of business for Potiphar. He's like in charge of everything in Potiphar's house. And the reason why is because Genesis 39 verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. But eventually Potiphar's wife went after Joseph. And when Joseph wasn't interested, he finds himself in jail. Even in jail, God blesses Joseph's life. In jail, there's a couple of guys have dreams, and Joseph interprets those dreams for these guys. One was good, and, and one was bad, okay? And the guy says that he'll remember Joseph, but he forgot all about him until Pharaoh had a dream that no one could interpret. And all of a sudden, the guy's like, wait a second, I know a guy. I know a guy that can interpret dreams. And so the next thing you know, Joseph is brought to Pharaoh. And when, he, when he's brought to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says he's got a dream and tells him to interpret it, Joseph says, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And so Joseph interprets the dream. Pharaoh puts him in charge of all kinds of things in Egypt. And so what I love about Joseph's story is he's constantly getting beat down. And we don't ever hear about him complaining. Like we don't ever hear the ballad of Joseph, you know, in the book of Genesis. And it's all his complaints about why, how everything has gone wrong or how everybody's mistreated him. We just hear that he continues to honor God. He continues to persevere and God continues to bless him, even in his difficulties. Uh, the, the prophet Jeremiah is another person I think of when I think of perseverance. We know Jeremiah, we call him the weeping prophet, all right? I would be a weeping prophet too if I dealt with what Jeremiah did. Jeremiah spent his whole life proclaiming God's message to a group of people that weren't listening. Wait, 
Sorry. I was thinking of things in my head. Like I was wondering, in my, I had a question in my head, like how many people in here aren't listening right now? But anyway, that's how we spent this whole life, proclaiming God's message to the people that were not listening. They would not heed his call to repentance. And so he's called the weeping prophet. And yet he continued, despite that, to be faithful, to persevere, and to do what God had called him to do. Joseph, not Joseph, Job, is another person who I think of perseverance. Job was a good man who lost everything, and, and yet he refused to turn his back on God. Now, he had some questions, okay, but he didn't turn his back on God. He continued to be faithful to God, and God honored that. Um, there's a story in Mark chapter 5. I love this story because we don't even know this woman's name. All right, we don't even know this woman's name. In Mark chapter 5, there's an unnamed woman that, that there's a story about her where what we know is she was suffering for bleeding for 12 years. Like some of you have gone through some physical challenges. 12 years she's been bleeding. And one of the results of, of, that, of that disease, of that issue, is that means for 12 years she had not been able to go into the temple to worship God. So imagine if you had something wrong with you that had kept you from being able to come to church for 12 years. Like you wanted to be there with all of your heart, but you weren't able to because of something that was going on. And I love this story because we talked earlier about Jesus, you know, the mud on the eyes and healing people like that. I love this story, Mark chapter 5. We don't know her name, but we do know this. There's all kinds of people around Jesus. She doesn't need Jesus to do anything for her. She just knows that she's just got to get close enough to Jesus to touch him, okay? So in Mark chapter 5, we read this story of this woman getting in there and just touching Jesus, and she's healed, all right? And Jesus says, he's in a crowd of people, who touched me? All right? And I just love that, because the disciples are like, really? We're supposed to tell you who just touched you? Like 50 people probably just touched you. But what a great story, because you know what? She had suffered immensely, and yet she knew, what do I got to do? I got to hang in there. I got to persevere. I got to get to Jesus. And so that brings us to Paul. And in Paul's life, you know, Paul at one point had a plan for his life. Like the Paul that we know was not the Paul that he had planned his life around. That was not what his goals were in life. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, it says this. It says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. You know, he had a plan. Paul was from a religious family. He was receiving religious teaching. He was, he was well beyond the guys his age. He was going to be a great religious leader in the Jewish community. He was zealous for that. So zealous, so much so that he went out and was persecuting Christians. But God had a different plan for him, didn't he? And so God got a hold of him on that road to Damascus. And so he went from a persecutor of Jesus in the church to a proclaimer of Jesus and the church. And so you would think because of this change of heart, how did he get showered with blessings? You would think, okay, he's gone from being a bad guy to a good guy. Now only good things are going to happen to him, right? Well, that's not quite what happened. Okay, so Saul had a plan. Paul had a plan for his life. And these are the results of following God. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
Uh, we were going to start in verse 21, but we're going to start in verse uh, 20, midway through 23. It says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day or a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul had a plan for his life. Things weren't working out the way he planned on it, and yet he continued to persevere. In that passage, it says that he received lashes. How many times? Anybody remember? Five times, okay? He was beat three times, stoned once, shipwrecked three times. Actually, yeah, shipwrecked three times, stuck in the ocean. Imagine just being able to say you got stuck in the ocean. Like, I would like to know that story. How did you just get stuck in the ocean? And yet Paul continued to persevere. And so Paul had an old plan, but then Paul had a new plan, okay? Because there were all these things that he once considered valuable in his life, and they were no longer valuable. They were no longer important. And so that's where we read our passage in Philippians chapter 3. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Okay, I can cons- all those things that were once so valuable to me. I consider them garbage. All those things, like I think back to that, the rich young man, all the things that he considered worthy, so important to him, all of that is garbage compared to following Christ. All of our worldly plans outside of Christ, garbage. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And so go down to verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So he's telling us, He's telling us how he's persevering. He says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so when he says, forgetting what is behind, but straining towards what is ahead, I can't help but think of a runner that is stretching for that, for that, final, that final tape, trying to get past that line. You know, at one point in his life, Paul had confidence, and his meaning came from his family, and from his upbringing, and from his obedience to the law, and his zeal for the law, and now he's telling us that that's all garbage. And so in his book, One Thing, Pastor Dudley writes this about Paul. It says, Paul lost everything for the sake of the gospel. His standing among the Jews, his position, the respect of his peers, former friends, security, safety, and his livelihood. But compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, none of that stuff mattered. And so all that Paul had accomplished up to meeting Jesus was impressive, but none of it mattered. All that he'd accomplished at this point, he's saying, not that I've obtained anything yet, 
He hasn't arrived at his goal. He's saying, man, despite all that he's done for the Lord, he has a long way to go. And you and I, we have a long way to go. Our faith is not a sprint, but it's a marathon. That sometimes we're suffering, okay? And we just got to hang in there. Uh, My oldest son ran the LA Marathon this year. And about a couple weeks before he was supposed to run it, he had trained for months. And a couple weeks before he did it, he pulled his hamstring. And so it was very disappointing for him. And he had a goal. He had a goal for what he wanted to accomplish. And after hurting his hamstring, his goal became just to finish the race. Okay? And, and so he, he, he did, but he didn't accomplish what he wanted to, but he just persevered. He just kept moving forward. So how can you and I, how can we persevere like Paul? How can we persevere like he's asking us and encouraging us to do? Uh, There's a couple things that I I think are really crucial for all of us. Number one, we need to find strength in the encouragement of others who are running the same race. Okay, we need to find strength and encouragement in others that are running the same race. That's why it's so important, I believe, for all of us to be involved in a small group. Okay, we all need some kind of a small group. We all need some group of people that are going to encourage us and to sustain us and to pick us up when we fall down. Okay? Because if you're running on your own and something happens, you're going to stop. But if you're running in a group and you fall down, they're going to pick you up and they're going to keep you going. We need to find others that will come alongside us to encourage us. Secondly, we need to rely on the spirit that God has given us. You know, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about what it means to live by the spirit. And then later we read about the fruit of the spirit. And so God has given us his spirit so we don't have to do these things on our own. And then lastly, I was thinking about it this way. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, we have the, uh, the example of all these heroes of the faith. And, and the writer tells us all about them. But then chapter 12 starts off with saying, since we have this great cloud of witnesses. And he's referring back to those people in Hebrews chapter 11. And I don't know if this is really what heaven is like. But I imagine all the people in heaven are sitting there, and they're looking down at us like, like, like the people that were in the crowd as Eric is trying to swim. And they're sitting up there in heaven, and they're clapping for us, and they're encouraging us, and they're whistling for us, and they're cheering for us, and they're saying, you can do it, and telling us to keep going. And so that's my encouragement for us this morning, is you know what? The Christian life is a marathon. Keep running. Keep persevering. Keep hanging in there. Don't try to do it on your own. If you're barely hanging on, find somebody else to come alongside you and to pick you up and to hold you up. One other thing that I want to mention before I close is this. So I've been trying to encourage you all to persevere, to hang in there. But there's one other, I guess another side of the coin that I want to encourage you guys with is this. Is you know what? In life, as we live our lives, we have no idea who we encounter that in that very moment is just barely hanging on. All right, we have no idea. When we encounter people, we have no idea who is just barely hanging on. It could be the jerk driving in front of you, okay? Um, It could be the person in the grocery store that's annoyed you, okay? Or it could be someone you work with or whatever. And you know what? Those people might even be smiling as they're just barely hanging on. All right, so we don't really know. Like my encouragement to you guys is to persevere and to hang on. But my other encouragement is to realize, you know, we don't always know what's going on in other people's lives. And so I'd encourage you guys, as you deal with people, even difficult people, be kind. Be kind to the people around you because you never know what is going on with them. 
You never know what's going on inside their heart and their mind at that very moment. And again, like I said, they could be smiling in that moment and still being like, I'm throwing in the towel, I'm letting go. And so just be kind. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, just for your word and your encouragement. And Lord, I pray. Lord, I pray for anyone that is here today that was watching online, Lord, that is, that is just barely hanging on. Lord, I pray first of all that they would turn to you to find hope and strength. Lord, I pray that you would help them to, to turn to some brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage them as well. And Lord, I pray that as we deal with the world around us, Lord, help us to be kind to those around us because we, we don't know who's just barely hanging on. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at wvcch.org or you can join us live in one of our Sunday services. Have a great day. Your tender mercies and your love You've always shown me You forget all my rebellion